I feel like I need to give, uh, if you are a guest here, you have been, um, you're, you're brought into a 72-week sermon series, and we're at about week 25. So um, there's no way that I can recap without giving you uh, the full uh, morning and the morning and the morning after and the morning after of where we've been so far. But where we are right now is in a really unique place. Especially when it comes to, try, I'm trying to figure out how do I follow up with baptism and preach about, according to Mark chapter 6, the beheading of John the Baptist. Uh, that's uh, a really unique place where we're at. But honestly, I think it is a perfect place. Because it really talks, it's really not about the baptism, uh, John the Baptist being beheaded. It's about what is God saying to us. But I do need to give you a little bit of a, of a, a follow or a little bit of a precursor of where we have been so that we can really move faithfully through uh, the rest of this morning. So if you've got a Bible, uh, Mark chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, um, along the aisles are Bibles. And page 698 is where we're going to be at. And I want to encourage you, follow along. This, this is one of those things that uh, you've got to see it with your own eyes to understand it, your ears to hear it, to just allow it to digest within you. So I'm going to just really kind of give you a a real quick where we've been and where we're going. Mark chapter 6, 1 through 6, we see Jesus right in his hometown. It's where he's been, where he was raised as a kid. He's, He's grown up in this little area. And after a while, and you may notice this too, you may have had your glory years as a basketball guy. You know, you could, you could maybe dunk it. And at least those are the fishing stories you're telling everybody. And you, you had those years where you were known. But after a while, you become just this commonplace everybody. You know, oh, you're so-and-so. And you be, because people become familiar with you. And there's this phrase that familiarity breeds contempt. Oh, you're just Jesus of Nazareth. Isn't this his his mother and his sisters back here? Aren't these his his brothers over here? It's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. And Jesus says, listen, a prophet is not welcome in his own town. He's not welcome in his own town. And you you see that in Mark chapter 6, 1 through 6, where he says in chapter 4, And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. So Jesus is saying, listen, you guys don't get it. You're way too familiar. You're way too comfortable with me. You're way too comfortable. And that says something to the church of how comfortable have we gotten with Jesus? Is Jesus just another name, just another historical figure? Is he just another thing that we we recognize when we go to church? Or is there a great amount of awe and wonder about who Jesus Christ is? And so Jesus says, listen, I can't do anything else here because there's not faith. There's not a real trust in who I am, the promised Messiah. And so I'm going to move on. I'm going to take my ministry elsewhere. And at the end of chapter or verse 6, it says, and he went out among the other villages. He says, it's time for me to move on. And chapter 7 or verse 7, he goes on to say, I'm going to gather my 12. I'm going to gather my... disciples, and I'm going to send you out. And you folks are going to preach a message of repentance. You're going to preach a message of what the kingdom of God is as opposed to the kingdom of Rome. And so it's a really, you know, for me, I'm just going, as a ministry guy, I'm going, all right, here is a great plan, a great system, a great way of working. Okay, so Jesus pairs them up, and he sends them out, and they're to preach. So I'm going, okay, that's what we've got to do. And then there's something inside me that wants to go, so Jesus, 
Let's see how this worked out. And so you go to the next verse. And you see the little heading there and it says. The death of John the Baptist. What? What? Why? Why would he do that? Why would he do that? What Mark is doing, the gospel writer is doing, he is using a bracketing, uh, kind of a bracketing, a sandwiching kind of system to explain a story. He is sending out the, the disciples, two by two, to send out this message of repentance. But if you jump down to chapter 6, verse 30, you're going to see two things are happening. Why don't you throw that up there, uh, Craig? There's kind of a bracket. Keep on going a little bit more. Right there. And so you get this. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent and they should ca- and they cast out demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. That happened over here. And then over here, the apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all that had been done and, and taught. But there's this in-between. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 7.17 says that all of Scripture is beneficial for teaching, rebuking, for guiding people. So what, what is this John the Baptist story being beheaded? Why is it placed right there? In between the brackets. And even more so, What does it have to do with us, God's people? What does this story of beheading have to do with us? So let's read together this story about the the death of John the Baptist. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet like the one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Could you imagine that? You behead a guy and all of a sudden it's like, it's like the haunting. He's come back for me. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother's wife, because he, Herod, had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and the military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, What should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and said, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with the orders to bring his head on a platter. And he went and beheaded him in prison. And he brought his head on a platter and gave it to a girl, the girl. And the girl gave it 
to her mother. When the disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Jerry Springer would love this story. Jerry Springer would have a crowd of people going, Jerry, Jerry. Because what this really is, is a strange story. This woman, Herodias, is the King Herod's half-niece. Okay? Half-niece that he later married from his half-brother. So it's his half-niece and former sister-in-law is now his wife. That only happens south of the Mason-Dixie line, right? And so there's this really strange marriage thing going on. And then on top of that, there's this party being thrown where Herod's daughter comes in and does this dance. And quite the dance she did because everybody was just fully enamored. So why is this story of strange family relationships here? Is it so that we as church people can say, okay, do not marry your sister-in-law. Do not marry your half-niece. And this is how to throw a party or not how to throw a party. Is this, is this really a story about morality and family relationships? Or is Jesus trying to say to us today, here is the real story. This is what really is going on. It's really not about just good morality. It's really not just about, hey, do this and don't do this. There's brackets here for a reason. And from cover to cover, God is trying to unfold His redemptive plan with Jesus at the centerpiece. And this insertion of this story does more than just provide an interlude where we can eat popcorn and be amused by people who have strange marriage relationships. Where we just wonder, oh, wonder when the disciples are coming back. It interprets what's going on on either side. It foreshadows the suffering that comes to, that comes to God's messengers. What happens to John, what happens to John the Baptist will happen to Jesus in his mission. And it will happen to his disciples on their mission. By identifying himself as a prophet, a prophet in Nazareth, Jesus himself links himself to the fate of prophets. The report of the execution of John immediately follows. Mark has spoken of John as the forerunner who, who preaches this, this message of, of baptism, of repentance, in order to prepare for the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. What is pivotal about John's role in this gospel is what happens to him when he goes out to preach. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 4. It says this, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So we got John who is, who is proclaiming, listen, repent, 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 repent. It's not this way. Repent. This is the real life and what the kingdom is supposed to be like. Repent. And he's speaking to religious people, just so you know. And then Jesus comes in. In Mark 1, verse 14. And this is what Jesus says. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news of God, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. We see this. John did this. Jesus did this. We see this even in this story. We see where just as John was handed over, we'll see at the end of Mark, so will Jesus be handed over. Just as John was executed by a reluctant political ruler at the instigation of his wife, so Jesus 
will also be sentenced to death by a reluctant political leader at the instigation of hostile leaders who engineered his death behind the scenes. Just as Herodias, this woman seized an opportune time to carry out her evil designs, so Judas will do the exact same thing and betray Jesus to the leaders. And just as Herod was caught off guard by the response of his reckless offer, so Pilate will be surprised by the response of his releasing a prisoner. The violent, the shameful, the painful death of John the Baptist also foreshadows the exact same thing with Jesus. When Jesus was dying on the cross, those who taunt Him in His last moments think that He calls for Elijah and wait to see if the prophet will come in some dramatic, kind of technicolor kind of way. And Jesus has already identified Himself, identified John the Baptist as the Elijah. And we see this in, in Mark 9, 13 through 14. But I'll tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Jesus is saying, listen, Elijah, the second Elijah has come and gone. That was John the Baptist. I'm the real thing. I'm the one that he spoke of. The message is clear. If they did this to the messenger of the Lord who preached repentance, they will also do this to the Lord Himself who preaches repentance. So John's death is a foreshadowing of the suffering of Christ Jesus. But the sending out of the twelve and their return sandwiches or brackets in the account of His death. John's beheading, therefore, casts out cast uh, the shadow of death over the disciples' mission. It's a picture of, listen, you follow Jesus, there's something that will happen to you as you desire to be faithful. It's a picture for all of us that we've got to remember that just because we follow Jesus, it's not just going to be this nice little path of roses and it's going to be pretty. Sometimes there's blood, sweat, and tear. We can even look at the apostles. Every one of the twelve died. Judas had his own hand. The others were martyrs. This section of Scripture foretells, foreshadows, what happens to those with, with the message. And here's the deal that we need to remember in all of us. When everyone has done doing everything that they can to stamp out the message of Jesus Christ. When they've tried to do all their things. You know, we're scared to death about taking prayer out of the public schools. God just goes, seriously? You're concerned about that? Look what they did to John. My message went forward. You're scared to death about that? I'm in control here. It's me who is God. But when the world is doing all they can to stamp out this message of hope, God is not done. God is not done. The thing that brings me hope, that in spite of evil, the kingdom advances. The message of hope advances. Because the beautiful thing is verse 30 says that the disciples came back. And they said, listen, John the Baptist, dead. They killed him. But let me tell you of everything that had happened. All the actions, all the words, everything that we proclaimed. Look what God did. They can try to kill us, but the message lives on. There's hope. There's hope. 
And this is a fun thing for me to think about. We, right now, are living in the midst of the brackets. Jesus has died and conquered sin and has given us great hope. But we're not dead yet, are we? We're waiting for that other bracket. When we see Jesus face to face and where our hope is made complete, there may be suffering now in this life. There may be sickness. There may be dealing with financial issues. There may be religious persecution like we see in in other parts of the world. But you know what? The other bracket is coming. And this one will be far more powerful. Where all things are made right. Where hope is found. We're living in between the cross that has paid for our sin and the time where we can more fully, most fully enjoy and savor God. We're living in between those times. And for me, this is fun. Jesus' head is not on the platter. We've got to remember that. Jesus' head is not on the platter. He willingly laid down His life so that He can conquer death and the grave for our sake. He willingly laid His life down for me. Paul Broom. A guy who has a lot of junk, a lot of baggage. That's not always honest. That struggles with issues. But Jesus died for me. And He willingly laid His life down for me. Insert your story here. That while you were yet a sinner, Jesus died for you. He's far greater than this Elijah. And His death will save us and has saved us from our sins. For His death is the the very death of all deaths. Let's pray. God, we we come as uh, the people of God with a tough message. And God, honestly, I don't think I fully understand. I'm not sure that we all fully understand what it means for us to kind of live between these brackets. The time between your death and us most fully enjoying life with you. And what it means to be able to even die to ourselves and our wants and our needs. So God, would you help us see this more fully? And God, for us who need to see hope, can we see hope in this story? That you are the God who willingly laid himself down so that we can have everlasting life. I thank you for tough stories like this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We celebrated baptism. But you know what?